0: White flagger.
1: Wayne goes to block!
0: Cross it out, cross it out, cut your flag at the mark! Awesome time, man, awesome time. It's nice to uh, close out a race like that, that was awesome. This is the Team Wayne Podcast. Alright, welcome everybody back for another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers and alongside me, as always, is my co-host Steve Mez. And this time, that's not all. Fresh off her trip to the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum, we have a special guest this week. Nicole Chipman is with us today. Blaney fans may know Nicole better by her Twitter handle, at Stellanarius, and by her weekly scanner live tweets, Nicole, I think this has been a long time coming, but welcome for the very first time to the Team Blaney podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited.
0: (laughs) So as I just mentioned, you're just, you know, hours ago, got off a plane. All right, maybe a day ago. Got got off a plane uh, from your trip out there to the Coliseum. You got to witness this race in person along with uh, a little over 50,000 of your closest friends and uh, racing fans. Um, Was an exciting trip for you to get down there and get to a, you know, obviously a brand new venue and something that NASCAR has never done before. And I'm sure the vibe, it just seemed like it was insane.
2: Uh, yeah, it was really cool. It was, uh, we were talking when we got there the first day that the vibe was kind of, it wasn't like your typical race. Like, you knew it was, it felt like a race, but didn't feel like a regular race, the atmosphere. It just kind of seemed, it seemed more like a party a little bit. And, um, and it was just kind of more the anticipation of what was gonna happen, especially when we got there on Saturday. Um, we watched a little bit of practice in the hotel room, but just like being there was um, totally different. And the first day it was uh, just general admission. So you could sit wherever you wanted. And so we just found a spot to sit and watch. And uh, I must say those new cars definitely have a purr to them, a nice little growl. So. That was that was kind of nice, and it echoed in the stadium, so it
0: was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, they sound a lot different. I was able to get to uh, one of the, the Daytona test sessions, um, and it's yeah, it's just people say throaty, and yeah, like that, that. It's just a totally different sound, and I can imagine in that bowl with the sound just kind of reverberating around. It was probably pretty loud, and I, you know, had heard somebody mention this week that uh, because there was a lot of new fans there, a lot of people didn't have uh like headsets on and various things and they're like there's probably a lot of people with their ears ringing by the end of that thing because they, they were they didn't necessarily come um, protection.
2: they were walking around uh handing out earplugs to like as soon as you walk through the door they're like here you go here's some earplugs so um I think they were prepared for that um I would definitely suggest if you go to a race though make sure you have some kind of ear protection because I took mine off for a little bit and it was loud it was very loud <laughs>
0: So we're going to dive deep more into the, the clash at the Coliseum in a, in a few minutes, but um, since this is your first time on the show and uh, just kind of want to introduce you to some of the people that follow the podcast, uh, as I mentioned on Twitter at Stellinarius, you you've been doing the, the live tweets for a little bit here. So we want to get to know you and share your story a little bit more. How exactly did you become a race fan in the first place?
2: Um, well, my grandpa worked for Texaco here in Portland and, uh, we used to have the cart races every year with, um, the Rose Festival. And so he used to get, uh, pit passes and all that stuff. And so, um, a few times I got to go, my claim to fame is Mario Andretti tried to kill me and I had no clue who he was. he was, He was on a golf cart. We were walking back to the hospitality and he didn't see me and almost hit me. And he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then all these people surrounded us. And I was like, oh, I'm fine guys. Like, it's okay, whatever. And my grandma goes, do you know who that is? <laughs> like... So that was kind of my foray into racing. We've always watched like the big races. Um I've always been huge sports in sports, um, football, baseball and stuff. So um, it was more in like 2000, I really kind of started paying more attention. And then uh, after senior's death, I really started kind of like wanting to learn more about it um, and started rooting for Dale Jr. And I think it was uh, 2004 is when I really, really got into it and started rooting for Casey, cause he's our hometown guy. Um, well, as close to hometown as you can get. And um, whoops, sorry. And um, so yeah, and i had started listening to the scanner and, that's where I kind of started learning more about racing and that they're not just really going around in circles that they have. There's actually some strategy. So, um, so yeah.
0: So what drew you to Ryan Blaney specifically? Did you start kind of watching him when he was coming up through the truck series or did it start when he kind of got more into cup? Like when did he kind of come on your radar?
2: Um, I've kind of watched him, you know, just he was there. I saw him. Um, and I was in Texas for in 2018 for uh, the spring race. And that ended up being the last time I got to see Casey race and Casey crashed out early. And so I just so happened on the fan scan. I had Ryan and Bubba. And so um, Ryan had won the Xfinity race prior. So um, the day before. So I was like, whatever, I'll just, he seems kind of cool. And I really liked um how interactive him and, uh, bubble were on social media with the fans and stuff like that. Like that kind of really got me into following him. Um, and he reminds me of Casey a lot too. Like he's just like the chill except for yesterday, except for Sunday, (laughs) (laughs) that different, but he's, he's pretty much, you know, chill. He gets really feisty on the radio, which Casey, (laughs) Casey would do all the time. You would not believe that they were the same person. And then, um, And also just uh, I really when I found out he supported Alzheimer's, um, I really, really took he became my guy because my uh, Oma passed away from Alzheimer's. And so the big thing and not a lot of people talk about it. So I thought it was kind of cool that he uh, his family brings a lot of attention to it. So.
0: So you've been you said you mentioned like the scanner in general was a big part of getting you a little more involved in the sport and understanding the sport. And now you spend a majority of your Sundays, sometimes Saturday nights, except for when you're physically at a race, um, transcribing the scanner the best that you can and tweeting it out for all of us to, to follow along as the race is going on. What really inspired you to do that? And had you done that before at all? I know you have mentioned being a fan of Casey and stuff before, but, um, or was it first and do you remember what the first race was that you, you started this off with?
2: So, um, there used to be, uh, and I was friends with uh, a girl. Her name was Sarah. I cannot remember her Twitter handle for the life of me right now. And I, I think it was like Princess Sarah or something. I can't remember. But she actually used to kind of live tweet Casey's radios, radio scanner, um, which was helpful because sometimes he would get a little angry and you could never, you can tell. And especially like if I wasn't home, like it was cool to be able to still have the scanner access. And I want to say it was probably fall sometime in the summer of 2019 I was just bored and started I tweeted something about um or I tweeted something that he had said and like people were like oh how are you listening or what how are you listening Ryan and so I was like oh I have the scanner and um so I just kind of kept tweeting more about it and then I realized that I was learning a lot about the sport and then um it also kind of helped to um Josh reached out at one point, and so that was nice to be able to ask questions about the sport and get his and in, uh, his information that he knows. Um, the other person that's been a huge supporter has been Mule. Uh, he uh, answers all of my crazy technical questions all the time. Or if I notice something on the in car, um, I'm like, "What is that for?" He'll explain it to me. So, um, so that's also been really helpful uh, as well to kind of like. It's not just Ryan, but like I kind of the team is is very supportive. And supposedly, from what I've heard, they may use my live tweet in their debriefs. Um, not quite sure if that's totally true, but uh, we did run into a couple of Penske executives in Phoenix on the elevator, and my friend said, "Hey, she is the one that does live tweets," and they were like, "Oh, that's you? You're the one that does it?" So it was kind of. Apparently, I'm known by Team Penske. Um, So that's my claim to fame: is that I help them with their debriefs. Apparently.
1: <laughs> well, you help uh, you help me every week too. Um, uh, I explained last season how race day goes and how I actually write this stuff down. And um, my wife is literally on Twitter, sitting next to me the whole time, and she fills me in on all these different things that happen that the TV doesn't catch. And if I miss something, um, because I do miss something, I might be looking down. I'm still listening something on the TV. She catches everything. And half of, half of it comes from your feed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And so so the funny thing is, is when I'm watching the race, um, so I have the race on, I'm listening to the scanner. And I also, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, a group of us that were part of the uh, Jeff Gluck Patreons. We started uh, Zooming during the races uh, to kind of get that social interaction and stuff. We call ourselves the Misfit Toys. Um, And so I even have that on at the same time. So I have multiple things happening and then I have the four crazy cats that are... (laughs) So sometimes it amazes me how much I catch while I'm Mm -hmm. listening to it, uh, that I don't miss more than I, I would
1: think so. Well, she follows, she follows certain things on Twitter, certain people on Twitter and as fast as the action is on the track and as bad, sometimes as, you know, badly the TV might miss something because they're covering this and that happens at the same time, Twitter catches it. And because of who she follows, she catches it. And it's amazing to watch a race like that, have her like, you know feeding me that extra info because it ends up in my notes all the time. I just keep writing (laughs) what she says, something in my left ear and I keep writing and I hear something in my right ear and I keep writing, but uh, Twitter is really an amazing way to watch a race and uh, what you do with It's really incredible because the amount of speed you must have to type all that stuff out is just unbelievable.
2: Let's thank uh, super Mario's, uh, keyboarding that I, my dad bought me. That was (laughs) how I learned to type. So. Thank
0: you, dad. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it's been fun. Race days been fun. I mean, for years, last few years, my whole, every race was spent just sending Steve messages, annoying him as much as possible. And now, <laughs> um, towards like the middle to the end of last season, I started this, uh, team Blaney discord channel and we usually get you know 10 or 15 people in there that are active during races and i i told steve i was like this way i can like send a lot of this stuff to into there so you don't have to read (laughs) my random thoughts as the race goes because i always say like steve's the one that's the hard worker like uh, i work on like producing the podcast and stuff like on on the back end of that but like on race day like i'm just the race fan being able to enjoy the race while he's you know scurrying and writing all these notes down so he can get prepared for the for the podcast each week so you guys are doing the hard work
1: (laughs) What's the new title you gave me last week?
0: Uh, it was like uh, was race strategy analyst.
1: Oh, okay. I got to remember go. that. Yeah. I'm putting that, <laughs> I'm putting that on my resume now.
0: Yeah. Get that on your LinkedIn, Steve. First of all, race strategy. And
1: the
2: analyst. thing with tweeting too is um, every so often you'll see Nicole's notes and it's just me going off about something. And that's been kind of fun to get feedback on too. Cause other people are like, Oh yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Or, um, Or you're crazy, which is fine. You can tell me I'm crazy. Um, (laughs) so that's also kind of fun too, to get that interaction.
1: The thing about the Sharpies this past weekend was interesting. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why they would do something like that.
2: Uh, Saturday. So I have my clear backpack. I always have a silver Sharpie, a black Sharpie and a pencil in my backpack and the little pen holders Saturday went through just fine. Nobody said anything. And she went through my bag. they even opened it. Uh, Sunday we get there and we go through and she's like, "Uh, you can't take these Sharpies in. And I'm like, what? Why can't I take the Sharpies in? And I'm like, I took them in yesterday. And she's like, nope, we were told in our meeting today that you can't take Sharpies in. And so I was like, okay, well, that's weird. And my friend that I went with Shannon, she's a lawyer. (laughs) So she went lawyer on them. Um, But they were like, nope, you can't take them in because uh, they were worried about people writing on things or something, yeah, and I'm like, probably yes.
0: graffiti, that kind of stuff. Right,
2: and I'm like, yes, I am an Oregon duck, but I was trying my best to reserve the quacking and all that stuff later. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we were like, but they sell them in the fan zone, and they're like, oh no, we just can't let you in. And I mean, really it wasn't that big of a deal, but at the same time, I was kind of like. All right. And then I run into Michael Waldrop and I don't have a Sharpie, Oh, which, I mean, I got a picture with him, but that's fine. Um, But it was still kind of like, it was the weirdest thing ever.
0: I think it's probably just one of those things uh, for a venue that's not normally hosting a, a NASCAR race. did I, So just on that note, just for, did they allow coolers and things in like they normally would? That would be the the other thing. Or did you not notice that people I with coolers?
2: Not that I saw... Um, You were allowed to bring, like, I think it was 16 ounces of, like, water. It had to be closed, of course, Uh, water. Um, I don't think they brought in allowed coolers. Um, They also said no tailgating, which when we pulled in, we're like, these are NASCAR fans. (laughs) They're going to tailgate, if they want to tailgate. And they did, in a parking garage. So, um, yeah, it was just, it depended. Like, it seemed like uh, the gate that we went in the day before like I mean like I said they did go through my bag and nothing about it and then I don't know what it was uh because they on Sunday she was like oh well they must not have gone through your bag I was like no they actually because I had a sweater in there so they're like can you pick the sweater up so we can see even though it's clear bag they want to make sure uh you also can take like aerosol uh sunblock in um so yeah I don't know I I checked uh their the website and everything like not just NASCAR but their website to see what I could not couldn't bring in and I didn't see anything about Sharpies on there but if Sharpie would like to send me some new Sharpies <laughs> um that would be fabulous but yeah and and it was kind of interesting too because uh you know of some of the things that people were wearing in the stadium it was kind of like really my Sharpies are the thing that you're worried about <laughs> like <laughs> okay
0: all right so We got to know get to know you a little bit more Nicole and so why don't we just jump right into our our race recap here uh, with you joining us uh, for the Bush light clash of the Coliseum and Steve this one started didn't start on Sunday things started off actually on Saturday
1: talking about practice Adam's favorite thing practice I love
0: practice I think it's just because I miss it Uh, I I talked about when going to the racetrack it was kind of my favorite thing to to be at was practice and qualifying because any more extended time that I can be at the racetrack the better Uh, plus you can get a little more opportunities for interaction with teams and drivers but It was good to kick this thing off, kick kick off a new season with some, some practice and they needed it because they're out there on a, on a quarter mile track that no one had ever raced on ever. And no one will technically race on ever again, that track. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Never raced on and new car, new situation. Um, What they did was they split it up into three groups of 12 and each group went out for eight minutes at a time, group one, group two, group three. And then they did that three times um, so this uh, really the first practice, it made you a little nervous because you're looking at the times. Um, and Ryan, the first practice was not good at all. I think it was like 30 seconds or something like that. You know, and you, you know, you, you got to imagine that they got to be able to get uh, uh you know, something to, to look at ahead of time. And it, and, and it really something needed to be worked on. And I really didn't hear much on scanner about what they were going to work on. So um, that second practice though came out and about halfway through it, just jumped all the way up the board to like second at one point early in that second practice. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, ended up uh, through after all three practices ended up n- uh, ninth quick. So he put a good lap down in the second practice uh, I think he got behind Chase, to tell you the truth, and Chase uh, kind of showed him the line maybe to use. Um, it's a lot of uh, accelerate, brake, slide, accelerate, brake, slide, um, which is the way you're going to have to race the car, too. So um, beyond that, um, qualifying was going to be uh, Saturday night, and uh, they did it by owner's points. They reversed the field by owner's points, so he went out 30th. Um, he ended up 13th, and uh, there was an interview Um or where he basically said he he messed it up a little bit. <laughs> He's trying a little bit too hard. Um but uh then the field was set into four groups for the four heats for Sunday um and uh, it was it nine cars in each heat and the top four from each heat were going to make the final race of the day. So uh Ryan actually ended up starting uh fourth in heat 1.
0: So one thing about heat racing they tried to do, I mean, they do heats for Bristol and that kind of thing. They, for the Xfinity Dash for cash races, they tried to bring heat racing back and it didn't really seem to work out that well. It wasn't that exciting. The difference here for this format was the fact that 36 charter teams show up and there's only 22 spots really available because that 23rd spot was a points provisional. So they're all all 36 of these guys, well, 35. Again, we're, were fighting to get, one of those 22 spots so there was actually something on the line whereas like dash for cash races things like that they were going to be in the field pretty much no matter what so um i think that's what set this up to be very very exciting and i know nicole you were there um bright and early enough to to catch all of that racing was that something you were just kind of anticipating did you think that you were going to see utter chaos or you just weren't sure what was going to happen for these I wasn't
2: totally sure to be honest i figured it was either going to be a huge cluster or it was going to be great but you know ice cube was going to be there so it couldn't go bad it was going to be fine um so uh the first race was definitely um a little bit of a uh nail biter holding on to see what was going to happen. Um, we were down, um, by turns two or uh, three and four, which I don't know how it looked on TV, but from the, from my perspective, and it could just be, cause I was sitting by those turns. It seemed like three and four were kind of the, the hot zone of the action. And, um, it was just watching them go in and then break was intense. It was like, every time we were waiting for someone to just spin out, um, but heat one, they it seemed it went pretty well. It wasn't really until they got to Austin Cedric that he started doing a lot of pirouettes. So,
0: <laughs> so Steve, for heat one, Ryan, like you mentioned, Ryan qualified thirteenth overall. That slotted him into the fourth starting position, which was the final transfer spot uh, into the main event there uh, for heat one. So first heat out on the track, and the twelve teams in that heat.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately the, the bad thing about it is he starts on the outside and, and the way this, you know, configuration is the inside line is going to be the better line to start a race or to start any of these heats. Uh, the heats are 20, 25 laps long. Um, and within a lap, he does catch, get a hole and get behind somebody and he gets to fifth that point. Um, and, uh, with seven to go in the heat is when he actually passes the 11 and gets to fourth. Now, you know, these guys, the first heat of the day, the first heat on the track of actual racing. I don't think anybody really wanted to rough anybody up or push the envelope. Um, cause I think Denny could have got to his back back bumper before it was over and, and, and returned the favor. And he, and I think he decided just to be careful with his car. Um, but that's, he did
0: that's get... what I was going to say was that you mentioned that he just, you know, he was able to pass into fourth. Um, but he was, maybe a sign of things to come was a little little aggressive there uh he wasn't a, wasn't afraid to to use the the front bumper to get past denny and like you just said that made me nervous for the whole re- remaining lapse of that race as to what was going to happen
2: i was very proud that he used his bumper and uh i sent mule a text and i was like he just used his bumper what did what how did you guys finally get him to do this so um it was good to see uh that because we hear it on the radio, we hear the fire on the radio, and so it was kind of nice to see it. And he didn't use it in a malicious way, no. but um, it was it was great to see uh, that little aggressive side come out.
1: I, I think uh, it's a sign of things to come this season, too, with the composite body, that uh, these guys can be a little more aggressive and not worry about tearing the front end or the rear end of the car up. So I, I think I think uh, Bristol and Martinsville can be quite interesting this year because guys will know that they can actually get next to somebody, rub somebody, not have to worry about a tire being cut, uh, or at least it won't happen as often with this composite body. So
0: there's a lot of contact and no cut tires yeah. the entire day. In- he insane.
1: Broke a wall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he
2: broke a wall, and there was barely a scratch on his car. <laughs> so that was kind of. to see too that like you said i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing not dirt bristol but regular bristol and martinsville and kind of seeing how that works out with the cars
1: um, by, his, by finishing fourth in the heat there, he's going to be 13th in the feature. Um, Kyle Busch wins, wins the heat and in these heat races, because there's only nine cars, the leader was able to check out a little bit. Didn't have to worry really about lap traffic or anything like that. So all the heats kind of, kind of went that way for the most part, uh, heat two, the eight car wins, uh, heat three, um, Justin Haley actually wins heat three. I know, uh, that's kind of exciting, uh, Adam, uh, you're going to be following that team a little bit this season, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, obviously Team Penske and Blaney first, but being an Ohio native and Colic racing, having its ownership roots and everything, they're kind of Ohio's team, uh, basically. So um, have the Ohio Blaney connection, but also the Ohio Colic racing connection. I've tried to keep it just the Xfinity series uh, as far as, as fandom wise. But yeah, I mean, they, they were impressive. Uh, they ended up getting two, two of their cars into the show. And there's uh, some other teams out there that did not get cars into the show. So mm-hmm. impressive run for them. Yeah, Heat 4, uh, Joey uh, Joey ends
1: up winning Heat 4, and uh, so they get those last chance qualifiers, and only the top three cars in each of those um, go, and then uh, the first one, the 11, the 4, and the 16 advance, so uh, AJ does a great job of, of getting that other uh, car in there uh, for them, and uh, these are 50 lappers, and it figures that you get down to that last last chance qualifier and everybody decides, you know, it's go time, and uh, things finally got a little more aggressive.
0: Yeah, Um, if we're we're saying the gloves were off, it was definitely in that one. Uh, A lot of it, I think, had to do with Ty Dillon, and a lot of it, I think, had to do with Austin Cedric trying to battle his way back, uh, like, five different times uh, to try to get into this race, Um, but I think that's what some people were looking for. The good news is is that that race is really the only one that was chaotic, throughout pretty much the entire day. But you did from heat one through four, as you said, there was a lot of, a lot of contact going on, uh, but not necessarily super malicious contact until I would say the, four, the 42 car, uh, pretty much through that entire uh, LCQ. So, um, but I think it was just, at least that only happened then. It did put them behind a little bit because they ended up having to push the start of the feature back or the main event back uh, by 30 minutes. I think probably a little bit because of, of what happened there. Um, somebody
1: but, somebody somebody called that last week
0: yep <laughs> yeah i think you know the heat's actually moved along pretty quickly but yeah i was like and i don't know that they're going to get through all of this just based on me attending a quarter mile track a lot and, and i know how how cautions can can fly so um, was, but,
2: that's when cindric hit the wall so they yep, had to that's right they had to do a little repair work but i was a little sad that nobody wrote austin cindric was here afterwards
0: <laughs> oh. i was
2: going to but they took my sharpie, they
0: took so. sharpie. oh wow. Well
1: um the the 42 ends up uh disqualified um he jumped two different restarts and uh it was pretty pretty blatant but i mean once again he's trying to get in and but the thing is is, uh he was he was leading on the last restart if i'm not not mistaken and he was he really didn't have to do anything but just hold his line for a couple laps you know
0: Yeah, I think it was just, it was made too obvious because I don't know if Bubba like spun his tires or if somebody kind of hit him from behind and lifted his tires up a little bit, but it was just, it was so blatant because the outside line didn't go at all uh, or he, you know, he probably could have gotten away with it, but um, he kind of took it in stride. I mean, he wasn't very happy about his first uh, restart violation, which was interesting because the way the rule was um, he didn't have to pull in or anything to serve that black flag. He just had to let the whole field get around him uh the 42 car did and then he again barreled his way back up through there again obviously Mm -hmm. to lead by the end of that thing yeah i was listening
2: to bubba in that race and um i think freddie and him were kind of caught by surprise with how early he went and so uh because right after freddie goes he jumped that he jumped that restart and he kept telling bubba like don't push it he jumped the restart like you're fine you're racing them now you're not racing it um so credit to Freddie craft. He did call, call that all the way. Um, but yeah, I think. Cause he was almost kind of like, Oh, go. Like he was not ready for the, the for it because he just, he jumped it bad. It was cause we were right there in the restart zone. So. Um, I mean, it sucks. Cause I like Ty. And again, it was really good to kind of see some folks that we don't usually see with some aggression. Um, but I was also happy because that bit Bubba made it in so mm-hmm.
0: yeah I was gonna say on the plus side it did uh that disqualification let team Penske affiliate Harrison Burton and the 21 Wood Brothers car into the race unfortunately with all the incidents that happened with Austin Sindrick the two car did not make it into the main event for the night
1: uh, the clash um it ends up being 150 laps with the break at uh, lap 75 of course uh, kyle's leading leading him to the green there but uh you know ryan's starting 13th which is nice because he's on the inside line yep. but once again you got the outside line when you're that far back the outside line's trying to get down and some people get a hole and some people make a hole um so by lap four it kind of settles out to uh ryan in 15th um by lap 14 he passes 47 um, and I, I kind of noted there he was a couple tenths uh, faster than the cars in front of him. So when he did get a chance to, uh, you know, when he had a little bit of a gap, uh, he was running faster lap times to catch the guys in front of him. Um, at lap 23, uh, he passes the 20, um, so he's up to 13th. At lap 27 passes the 34, up to 12th. And at lap 40, he passes the 41 and gets himself up to 11. So now we're looking at the top 10 here, getting getting closer to it and not even halfway yet. Um, lap 48, uh, he does say that he's starting to get real tight. So he's starting to get a little bit of feedback for what they're going to do at the break.
0: Um, I think this the the feeling of getting tight kind of was happening throughout the field. I think that was even something uh, that Kyle Busch had mentioned that kind of was ended up being kind of detrimental to him was that as the runs went longer the car started getting tighter and while these cars were handling the quarter mile and that that really sharp turns really well um once you kind of just you really have to muscle it around there after the car kind of gets a little bit too tight
2: it was kind of uh, nice cuz he was saying that his uh stability was really good and usually that was one of his big complaints last year was always you know his rear stability and all that stuff and so that was kind of a good thing to hear i mean i, I thought But yeah, he's tight, but overall he felt pretty stable and good about it. Um, So hopefully that's a good sign to cope.
1: Uh, Lap 54, we get a caution for, uh, he's up to to 11th at this point, the 47 spins out there. And, um, and, you know, Jonathan actually asks him um, how tight. So they start to, you know, use the number system to kind of break it down. He says only four at that point. So it's not real tight. But, uh, you know, so, oh, yeah, the first choose cone of the day.
0: <laughs> I saw it. it. <laughs> yeah, you saw it. Yeah, if anyone's uh, not familiar, uh, Nicole, part of her uh, Twitter experience is tallying up how many choose cones uh, TV shows. And they actually even mentioned uh, that they missed it. They're like, you didn't see it. It's off air. They did the, their first choose cone there. Um, yeah. So I, I think <laughs> I immediately tweeted at you that, yep, they've oh, missed yeah. the first choose cone of the year. <laughs>
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. They were
0: probably
2: happy I was at the race. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, you know, he's 11 going into the choose cone, chooses the outside row, ends up uh, row five, P10. So they gain a spot on the choose cone. Um, the 14 dropped off. The eight stopped on the front stretch. There were a couple of cars. Uh, now, is this because of the shifting issue with these cars? You know, uh, that from
0: what I understand, they they'd mentioned that um, the, the failure was in the transaxle, 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 which is kind of a new thing for them this year. Um, Reddick said that it happened when he was trying to get heat in his tires. And the 14 was was shifting throughout the entire races. So, but they're, you know, Todd Gordon was on last night on XM and was talking a little bit about this as well. So Brian's former crew chief, and they're saying they felt, thought it was a heat issue. And they mentioned that on the broadcast a little bit too. They're thinking Um, this really short track the way these guys were you know every break they got trying to heat the tires up and just um, just got a little bit too much heat and I don't know all the technical aspects of it but it's something that they're going to look into but they don't think this is going to be a that big of a problem going forward because even the other short tracks are a little bit longer so there's more opportunity for air to flow through the car and flow through all the the parts and pieces that hopefully won't cause failures like this, but I guarantee you that NASCAR and the company that supplies those parts now, since nearly everything is purchased from somewhere else now um, are probably dissecting those things all throughout this week and trying to see if they can make it happen again. The other weird thing that had happened to the 14 and I think it was in practice the day before is that they like broke a steering linkage, which, um, which is kind of a new or new thing or a throttle linkage or something. So um, I think they're just seeing some little things here and there that parts that are going to fail and they might need to work on, but it didn't seem like anyone, even the teams were really that alarmed, but for Reddick, you know, he dominated his heat race and was running, you know, up front in this race as well. I think he, he was the leader at the time. Right. So um, unfortunate yeah. for those two, because those, those have been two interesting cars to see what they could have done throughout this main event. And yeah.
2: going into um... Going into three and four, like the amount of smoke from the brakes. Again, I don't know how it looked on TV, but in person, it was kind of like, oh, 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 no, nope, we're good. And um, so I was kind of impressed with how well the brakes lasted, and there, we didn't have any, you know, brake fires or anything like that. With how hard they were getting in on those brakes, and the amount of smoke that was coming from over there, the smell was amazing. If they <laughs> could, you know, bottle that it'd be fabulous, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like in practice at first, like the commentators were alarmed by how much they were locking it up, but it actually seemed like, and Steve mentioned the brake and slide and gas thing earlier on that actually just ended up being part of how to (laughs) run a fast lap at that place. The slide actually just came into it. And then I'm not sure what Goodyear did with tires. I'm sure they're really conservative and uh, gave them, you know, pretty hard compound. And um again aside from contact think about all those times these guys locked the locked their brakes up and slid the tires uh those tires still held up throughout all of that
1: yeah they got um on that restart uh ryan did get down pretty quickly punched a hole in there and at lap 59 um, he's up to eighth and the 18's leading at this point uh at lap 66 we get the caution for the nine car um first thing i hear over the radio is uh, i didn't touch them
0: <laughs> and it was and they didn't catch it on air so people they showed them battling for like a second and they the cameras went off of them and then all of a sudden yeah they said the nine spun and i immediately text steve uh-oh because i know i know what's coming and then at first you know you know i'm thinking oh maybe it's payback from the for the clash last year last year <laughs> you know uh final turn there um but yeah then they go to the replay and uh yeah the the nine did that all on his own
2: yeah. Chase fans in attendance were not pleased either. They uh, were very angry at Mr. Blaney until they showed the replay and they're like, Oh, right. Yeah.
0: Driver error. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> one of my more uh, popular team Blaney tweets of the day was telling the Chase LA fans to, to calm down and uh, calm down. <laughs> you know, many likes and shares for that one. Cause I, I just <laughs> thought it was funny. It was pretty funny. Um,
1: this this caution. Jonathan and, and uh, Ryan talk about uh, how much to loosen up the car um the choose cone he's p7 for the choose cone Uh, he chooses the outside which puts him in row three which is actually p6 um and they restart lap 66 um they get to the break there ryan's in sixth uh, 18 leads and um during the break it it was kind of interesting because yeah on tv you're getting the you know the the show you know and i still have the scanner on so I'm getting a little bit of the communication. And uh, at one point, Ryan asks, what's Cube singing? And Josh says, check yourself before you wreck yourself, fool. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started cracking up. Um, and then he says, I think Hassler is dancing down there.
0: Talk about uh, Nicole the crowd. We, we, I've heard a lot this week and just from some of the shots and stuff they were showing on TV, it seemed like a, a very engaged, an energetic crowd throughout, especially during this break. Um, but during the caution breaks, I know they had the DJ playing. And you talked about the atmosphere being a little bit different. Definitely a little seemed a little bit more of a party atmosphere.
2: Yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. I can't really describe it. It just didn't feel like, you know, a race, a traditional race, which obviously it wasn't. Um, I think uh, the DJ for like the cautions was great especially for the new fans and if they weren't listening to the radios and didn't really know what was going on um i it i wish they would have had a little bit better scoring uh, in the stadium there was not really because there wasn't a scoring pylon at all um it was just on the screens and even then it was you couldn't really see lap times or anything like that either which i think would have been helpful or more interesting um I know some people complained about the whole, having a concert in the middle, but I think for the fans that were there, it was it was needed. It was kind of a nice little change of pace um, and it was good leg stretching. That was also the nice thing about some of the breaks was uh, you were able to go grab something to eat really fast and come back and you didn't miss anything. Um, but yeah, everybody seemed they were enjoying themselves. There were a lot of kids. Um, I mean, there's kids always at races, but I don't know why if I just noticed more often, more this time, uh, especially because I work with kids, so, um, but there seemed to be a lot more kids at the track, and um, there was one kid, um, they even mentioned it on Doorbell um, where they interviewed him during one of the breaks, and uh, the woman that was interviewing him was like, you know, how, like, how do you feel, and he's like, this is the best day of my entire life, and so, yeah, um, that's I mean, awesome. they really did a good job of putting on a show, um, and I, other than a few fans that just were not pleasant, uh, the majority were great, and it was really great to um, definitely notice more diversity at, this, at the track than I have in, in the past, so that was really cool as well to kind of, you know, see more NASCAR fans and see that there really is a lot more diversity coming into the sport now. So,
0: yeah, I thought, I mean, I think that was their intention to have a show, bring in more people, bring in a more diverse crowd. That's normally not maybe attending or watching races. And I don't know. I thought, uh, I thought the halftime break was fine. I mean, there's a lot of short track races. Usually they're a little bit longer than 150 laps that will have a break in the middle anyway. So it's like they needed to do this. They needed to give them time to adjust on the cars. Um, Plus ice cubes, Southern California icon. And he was somebody that some older fans and younger fans can relate to because he's kind of bridged some generations there. And uh, I don't know, I thought he did a good job. And honestly, from what he did before the race and his uh, what he's put out on social media and stuff after, um, I think he's I don't know what kind of partnership he had with NASCAR, but um, I think he's helped you know gain some fans throughout through that and it like you said uh it was fun seeing uh chris rice and various other people dancing around out there in the stands while that was going on but um i don't know about you but i i was concerned because it did seem like these first 75 laps went by like really fast and i was like i'm not ready for this thing to be over yet so um luckily i mean the the second half wasn't as fast paced but um i was i don't know I, w- I was a little bit sad it just seemed by like it was all fleeting by too too quickly but um but yeah now we'll, we'll jump in to uh to keep uh, recapping the second half uh, of the Bushlight clash yeah
1: right um during the break there one of the things jonathan did say to him is that the, the tires only had a couple of flat spots on them um so he told him you can continue to slide the tires like you were doing so once again what we were talking about earlier about uh Throttle, brake, slide—you know—being um, part of the way to drive the track. Uh, he, he told him keep doing that. Um, the choose cone for the second half He starts. Uh, choose cone was P six going into the cone. He chose the bottom row, ended up on uh, row four in the bottom, which actually puts him P seven. But once again, you know, for the restarts, be on the inside line, especially a little closer to the front. Um, you you know, those front couple cars get out there just right, you might be able to freight train a couple guys and and, and move up a couple spots. Uh, So lap uh, 95, he's P7, lap 110, he's P7. At that point, about 3.6 back of the lead. So the leaders really weren't pulling far away either. And it was a matter of uh, whether what the lap traffic would do. Um, And then lap 114 happens. Um, There was a swear word or two, um, you know, of course. And uh, TV coverage on this, I don't want to whack them too much, but they really were kind of lost with the footage of what happened. Um, and they, it, w- it was almost two or three laps before they caught up to, you know, him pulling in and why was he pulling in and then catching up with what had happened. And, um, you know, the interview afterward, he, he did say, uh, you know, uh, the guys raced me hard for seventh, you know, but on the other hand, I mean, it, it was kind of that time where you got to kind of figure out what you can do to get the guy, get past the guy in front of you too. So.
0: Yeah. So just to clarify this, this incident, Eric Jones had been racing Ryan pretty hard for several laps here. And I mentioned to Steve a little bit earlier uh, before we started recording that it was something I saw coming um, from some of the wide shots where you did get to see them racing. Like it seemed like Eric was a, you know, tick faster than Ryan at that point in the run. And I was like, he's just going to get impatient. And I just assumed at some point he'd kind of move them a little bit and then you just see Ryan drop from seventh on the scoring on TV down to 11th or 12th. And I was like, and I just text Steve. I'm like, did he just get, I was like, did Jones move him out? And then that's finally when TV shows Ryan like slowing to try to turn into the pits and eventually they turn his caution on. So um, I honestly wasn't surprised that it, that it happened. I was more surprised by the fact that he thought the car, you know, the car broke enough because we saw enough other guys kind of get moved around and it wasn't until they really showed the replay that you saw him hit the wall pretty hard that i kind of understood that there's a reason why he's he's pulling off into the makeshift pits in the the center of the infield
1: yeah they um you know they pull off and uh, you know it says the right rear is broken is what he said and i don't know how much of it was broken? I mean, you could tell by the damage he hit him in a certain way that it did kind of crush it in a little bit. Um, once again, the composite body—it's hard to tell um, sometimes when it does that what it actually damages underneath. It's not like the old bodies where you know sheet metal gets ripped away and you can see something hanging. You know, um, but what's interesting is that it's cautionally—you know—is at lap one fourteen and within a couple laps, Larson destroys the thirty-one car. Yes, he does. <laughs> now. That one there is really weird because he hit him with his what his left rear. Yeah,
0: he and just drove, drove him right roll. down in. And the unfortunate part was the thirty one car is the one that had made contact with Larson that had upset him, but it was actually uh, somebody else that bumped the thirty one into Larson in the first place. And you saw this throughout the day, like guys were angry at the wrong people yeah. <laughs> because other people were were shoving them into them. So,
1: yeah, check two cars behind me. That guy is the guy who started it, but yeah. Um, but what was real interesting is I left my scanner on, I didn't even realize I still had it on and all of a sudden they're talking and the car is back on the track, two laps down. So,
0: and this is after uh, they'd already reported on Twitter, uh, multiple people and multiple reporters yeah. that they were done for the day. Yeah.
2: And we had switched over to Bubba at that point, And then all of a sudden, like I saw, uh, Mule start handing him his stuff and I was like, what is going on? And so I switched over to the radio. I'm like, are they going back out? So, um, So yeah, I was, I just thought they were done. That was kind of the, I guess the good thing, but also lame thing was that when a driver wrecked or was out, they were stuck in the infield until there was a big enough break for them to leave. So um, it was kind of fun watching like Denny Hamlin and uh, Tyler Reddick and some of the other drivers standing and watching and um, with their headsets on. So that was kind of fun too.
0: So let's dive deep a little bit more into, yeah. so obviously Ryan did get back out on the track, but there were some things that, that went on during the uh, the immediate aftermath of the crash between Ryan and Eric Jones. Um, and some of this, uh, another reason why we wanted to get Nicole onto the show here is that she kind of ended up with uh, some some key video evidence and there's we're still lacking some more video evidence of what happened, but the Fox broadcast and the after- aftermath shows a stray Hans device that ended up, out onto the racetrack after ryan pulled into the infield so we talked about earlier seeing a little bit more aggressive ryan blaney uh on sunday at the clash um so from the the video footage that that we've acquired from nicole uh from uh from her cell phone you you can see ryan uh it was described by somebody uh leaping like a gazelle like a gazelle yeah. over a wall and moments before, we assume, again, this is only all alleged because no one has video footage from then on, that he chucked his Hans device out at the track, out at the 43 car.
2: So I have, I had just before the race was like, because I just got a new phone. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to change the photos back to, or to live. Because usually, I mean, who needs Harry Potter photos? So uh, <laughs> but I decided after Phoenix that that would be a good idea and so I was just taking pictures because, uh, you know, Mule was down there working, and Ryan was sitting on the tires. And so I was taking, taking some pictures. The next thing I noticed, he's like f- leaping through the air. So I tried to switch to video, and I got right after he threw it, as he was coming back. And then what you saw before of him going in TV's very small defense. Ryan would probably be one of the last people we would expect to ever do anything like that so um
0: that's what Steve and I were saying he's like he's like hey, man I just can't believe that Fox missed this happening and I was like well you know if it was Kyle Bush or if it was somebody else you know they would have their cameras fixed yeah, on them to see their to reaction it. they know Ryan of getting out and just saying oh you know we had a good car and uh kind of the normal spiel but um, a little bit more fiery. And I think Ryan maybe also was kind of playing into just this, this event again, being, being the clash, being exhibition, um, maybe even, it seemed like maybe even having a little fun with it, but, um, a little bit of aggression. And now, um, you've been lucky enough to be tweeted and retweeted. And I think the last time I checked the video was almost at, you know, 6,000 something views and, um, that thousand cameras, uh, program that, that does some recaps of big events they've been trying to reach out and you're pretty much the only person that has the closest thing to any video evidence of it happening. Uh, But like I said, it's still only alleged, right? Because we only have the only footage we have is him leaping over a wall. So (laughs) who knows how the Hans device got out there?
2: It will be part of the thousand whatever hammer thingy after the duel. They already have reached out on that. So it'll be part of that um, for sure. Every time they keep bringing it, like when uh, I'm watching race, I'm like, gonna happen <laughs> uh because um i do know that Race Hub also uses my live tweet to do the radioactive um mm-hmm. and they uh one of the producers had talked had mentioned that he was like oh yeah we check your tweet so i'm like so when i met ryan in phoenix i apologized to him for <laughs> bringing him on radioactive more than he probably would be um but yeah so uh I love it because Mez said that I, it's the Zapruder film for NASCAR. And if you know me, I am obsessed with JFK, like everything, all conspiracies, all of it. So, um, and when I went to Dallas, I stood where Zapruder stood. So I guess I probably got a little bit of his mojo. Um, (laughs) so yeah, that's the best compliment I've ever gotten. Um, but yeah, I sent a text to Jeff Glock, um, when I was on my way home and he was like, Wait, you got video? And I was like, Yeah, I thought I sent it to you. He's like, No, you didn't send it to me. So <laughs> he was like, Let me find the tweet and I'm tweeting it out. And so uh I was on the plane, turned my phone, like turned everything off. And then as soon as I got home, it was just like bing, 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 bing. So um, if you're trying to get me on Twitter right now, my alerts are off. <laughs> just because of course I would go viral for something that has to do with Blaney. That's just the story of my life at this point. <laughs>
0: So we talked a little bit about this incident. Uh, Obviously, you know, Blaney fans are going to be a little more on Ryan's side of things. Uh, I kind of saw it as just more of something that I saw coming. Um, I think I mentioned to Steve, just my thoughts on it, where I expected Jones to move Ryan at some point because he looked a little bit faster. Um, But kind of like what Ryan would say, didn't really expect him to drive him up through and into the into the wall that really kind of ended up damaging him. So I did want to go just play their, their kind of post-race reaction here from both Ryan and Eric, and then we can maybe talk a little bit more about the incident.
2: You're cool very often, but what happened between the two of you?
0: Oh, wants to destroy
1: me for seventh. Don't really make no sense, so I don't know. Uh, just kind of riding around. And I just run in the back of you and killed our car. So yeah, that's
0: bad, but uh, you'll have that.
2: It's short track racing, Mike.
0: So that was Brian's thoughts on the incident. Now let's switch over to uh, what Eric Jones had to say post-race. Yeah, I was racing with him there, and then he brake-checked me off of four, and it's like, okay, you know, no real, real reason. So uh, I didn't appreciate that and felt like I showed it on the track. So, you know, we have a conversation. We have a conversation. I mean, it's an exhibition race, and we're out here doing what we can. And uh, I was frustrated with the move that he made, so um, that's what happened. But. So that's what Eric had to say. Um, two sides to every story. Um, I agree with Eric. It's an exhibition race. Um, Ryan was in seventh. He could have had an opportunity to move up a little bit further. I wasn't devastated. I just was enjoying the event <laughs> and overall. Much rather would have had Ryan had a shot at it. Um, but do you guys have any, any final thoughts on just this incident in general?
1: Uh, one thing I was thinking, um, list, just listening to that, is that Ryan will race him the way he races Ryan the rest of the year. And I hate to say this about the 43 program, cause I, you know, we want to see the, we want to see petty to do well and be successful and still be in, in cup, but the 43 program as the year goes on, won't be anywhere near as good as Penske's cars. And there's gonna be a couple of times this year where he'll be in front of Ryan on a restart and Ryan's probably gonna have to move him out of the way and just do it. Not, not crash him, but just, you know, work him over hard enough to get past him and, and do it in a more aggressive manner, just based on history, you know? So we'll probably see that before the year's out once or twice.
2: Like I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, it seemed like Eric Jones the entire day kind of grew a pair all of a sudden. And he was, he was driving very aggressively. Um, I wouldn't say malicious at all, but very more aggressive than we would expect from him. Um, I think the, probably the funniest part was, uh, at the end of the race, they were literally like parked by each other there was one car kind of in between them and um unlike ryan's interview they didn't play that through the whole stadium but they did play eric's through the stadium and ryan kind of looked over and then started like just messing in the car and kind of doing stuff in there um i did have my video on though when that i was like in case anything happens i'm ready to roll (laughs) um but he kind of just whatever and climbed in the car as eric was still kind of talking um so that was kind of funny a little bit especially because Eric's like oh we'll have a conversation I'm like he can hear you right now um (laughs) so um so yeah I mean not that again it's Ryan I wasn't expecting him to like go hog wild or anything but um I was kind of like come on just go and tell him how you feel about it um kind (laughs) of like you know the Kevin Harvick and the Jimmy Johnson conversations
0: yeah. That's why I mentioned to Steve. I was like, you know, we really haven't seen too much out of him anger wise, but the last couple of times, yeah. that Like Kevin Harvick post-race talk, the Jimmy, the famous uh, Jimmy Johnson post-race talk. That was, that made some headlines, but um, I don't know, like we said earlier, good to see a little bit more fiery Ryan and uh, okay with it happening during an exhibition race. Um, Steve's so a pretty, post, yeah.
2: Even his post-race interview was the same old Brian that yep. like, so um, I mean, as soon as we got back to the hotel, you know, I listened to the interview and I was like, oh, he was pretty back to being chill again. Uh, he just went gazelle for a moment and then was done. Yeah. Um, I still have no idea how, what, there was 50,000 people or something and no, all we have is my little snippet.
1: <laughs> I don't
2: know how anybody did not get it, but yeah,
1: Tony Stewart was mad on the on the broadcast. He wanted the video because he wanted to critique the throw yep and then of course he wanted fox to show his throw i'm sure that's part part of it too Uh, did 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 ryan actually hit the car does anybody know did he actually hit him with it or did it just flop out there on the track and
2: no i think i don't i didn't see if he hit it um but it seemed it seemed like it was kind of like one of those like he threw it and Mm -hmm. it might have grazed it I do know for a fact he did not wear that Hans device when he got back in the car. Mule had a backup.
0: That's what so I was wondering. Yeah, I wonder how, was, that, how that made it way back into the there car. There was a
2: bunch of people mad on Twitter. Like, did he get no? I figure that was my assumption, especially because it's it's Mule. He's he's the jack of all trades. He has everything mm-hmm. ready to go. And I would assume you would have a backup Hans. Um, but yeah, so he did not go back out in the Hans that he tossed. So just set that straight for everybody.
0: <laughs> I almost think it was better that there's no footage of the actual throw because it could turn into one of those like, uh, you know, ceremonial first pitch, pitch situations where if he missed it completely, it would make it worse. So now we just kind of have this mystery of whether or not it grazed the car or hit the car I, or not. So
1: I, I do think there needs to be a gif, gif of uh, him jumping over the tires just repeating over and over again
2: i looped it when i was looking at it on my phone trying to figure out how to make an actual video out of it i was like this is is hilarious i could just watch (laughs) this i mean he jumped over what like four they were stacked four high which we've seen i think on like one of the body armor things or something they showed him doing that like jump thing and so i knew he could jump he had hops
0: he was on american ninja warrior too yeah i mean yeah didn't do so well but he was on it i
2: didn't think he had (laughs) Those kind of hops after being in the car for however long it was. In, and I don't think it was a leisurely Sunday drive, but.
0: My other favorite thing of the whole thing, I think it was a, a NASCAR chasm tweet that had, it was a picture of the device laying on the track and it said Hans solo. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> so. His his Ryan's tweet the next day with the uh, boomerang uh, mm-hmm.
1: that that was pretty good too, for those who got that. Oh
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think that worked out uh, pretty well. So Steve, I, I recap for the the rest of the race. It was yeah, did end I mean, up pretty well for another team Penske driver in the end.
1: Yeah, the, you know, the uh, I don't even have what point here. The uh, the eight was leading when all the or I'm sorry, the uh, 18 was leading when all this happened. But uh, the 22 does end up passing uh, by lap 130 there, um, and ends up uh, winning. Uh, you know, Ryan ends up 17th with the three laps down, but he was literally in front of the leaders the last couple laps and, um, you know, got out of the way, basically. I don't know how damaged he was, but he got out of the way to make sure that, uh, that Joey could win. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good day for, uh, for Penske on one hand. Um, you know, it would have been great to see the the 12 up there in that top five, which is probably where you, I, I really think he would have ended up if, if uh, things hadn't happened like that.
0: Yeah. It seemed kind like the hope. top five was manageable.
2: I was kind of hoping he was going to be like chase with Kevin and, go back and find eric but he didn't do it it's okay yeah. though i i mentally did it for him
1: he's you know what sometimes i he's he's more big picture he thinks big picture pretty quick though right. so yeah I, I think that's what it comes down to he's just like you know what this down the line maybe something will happen and we'll do this do something but you know, in the big picture, the grand scheme of things, uh, doing a public display of, you know, getting mad at somebody, it, you know, although throwing the Hans device, you know, it's amazing that nobody caught it. Cause that's funny. It's like, there's no video evidence of it actually happening.
2: <laughs> I did. I did suggest that he chooses a less expensive piece of equipment next time to toss just in case, you know, those things get expensive.
1: Yes, yeah, they are well, not cheap that, <laughs> yeah. that's that's amazing about tony's tony's helmet toss i went back and watched it in the last day or two because of this and tony's you know helmet those helmets even back then were not cheap and, and he had a custom painted helmet that hit the ground there hit the hit the car hit the ground yeah so i'm kind of glad he didn't throw that because that's yeah. uh those things are not cheap
0: yeah and i, I know the ryan blaney family foundation had a. Uh, posted a photo of ryan's new helmet for this race and it had their logo real nice on the on the back of the helmet so Mm -hmm. uh, i don't think i mean maybe they could have put it up for auction or something (laughs) if he did toss it uh but yeah i don't think they would have been too too happy with a scuffed up helmet after that so the hans up yeah that's true
2: they would probably get a pretty penny for that especially when somebody thought actually be thrown
0: so (laughs) team penske driver wins this inaugural bush bushlight clash at the Coliseum. Just some final thoughts from everybody here uh, on just the event as a whole. I know going into this thing, saw a lot of, you know, a lot of people that were really pumped up. Some, you know, there's still some of those negative people out there that still are trying to, you know, say that it failed regardless of the fact that they won, exceeded their early estimate of 50,000 fans. I think they heard upwards of, you know, 55,000 or something like that. Um, it was not a crash fest outside of, Uh, That one last, the fourth or or the fourth heat. And then that second last chance qualifying race, Um, the cars debuted pretty well and handled really well on a track this small Um, entertainment seemed like it was good. The crowd seemed like they were enjoying everything. Um, I know, I think I tweeted from my personal account that, you know, whether home run touchdown, however you want to describe it, I think regardless of how much money they spent to promote this thing and actually build and tear down the track, I think NASCAR got everything out of this thing that they wanted and possibly more.
1: Yeah, the, the, the best part is now in the future, they know that they can do it. They know how what it takes to do it. And um, uh, listen to other podcasts. I listened to the teardown uh, the other day and the boys there were talking about. How about the, the all star race in the summer? You can take an NFL stadium now and in the summertime, they're not using those stadiums. And you know, that the two months or three months that it takes to prep the track and get it together, you could do that in the late spring and, and then have an all star race right at a uh, you know, in a, in a venue, uh, in a location, um, where, um, you know, NASCAR has never been before, you know, maybe up in Oregon, you know.
2: Oh, yeah, uh, they should come to Autzen Stadium, go to Eugene, Oregon. We're good. We have Eugene has a nice little airport that the drivers can come into. And there would not be any golden, red, crimson, whatever they call it. <laughs> I did not get the logo burnt into me, thankfully. Um, <laughs> a little worried about that one. Um, I mean, overall, I like I said, the atmosphere was electric. Um, it did feel like it was like over super fast. That was kind of the downside. It was kind of like you blinked and it was over. Um, but then I always feel that way, like when it comes, like when a race is over, because it's like you're so hyped up. And then yep. and I think just going in with the expectation of this was not going to work was probably the best because I was all I could be was pleasantly surprised. So um, I thought it was great. I loved, um, you know, I think it was a great choice to do it in L.A. before the Super Bowl. I think that also kind of brought in a lot. Um Like I said I really liked how many kids were out there and just they were having so much fun Um, and hopefully you know it brought in some new fans still don't totally buy the whole 70% thing but I digress Um, yeah I think you know I'm worried I don't want it to become one of those things um, that I'm also kind of concerned like with the Field of Dreams things with MLB like it was great that one time but you know, if you keep kind of doing it, it loses its luster. So um, hopefully they can kind of find ways to switch it up. But I also agree, like the exhibition races, they should be, they they shouldn't be on tracks that we usually race on. They should be at, at different places, um, not necessarily building a track, but um, trying to get more fans. And I think, I think the Cup Series doing something up here in the Pacific Northwest, especially would be another um another great thing. I'm going to the Xfinity race at PIR. So we'll see how that goes. Not totally confident that uh, PIR is ready to have that many people, but, um, there are a lot of NASCAR fans out, up here that, um, people don't really realize. So, and it's hard to get to a race. You got to The closest track is 12 hours away from here. So
0: Yeah, and I think you're right. the the the, my main concern would be, and I think they said they have a two year they have a two year option to go back to the Coliseum a couple of more times. Um, It's just whether or not they would get as many people. I mean, there's just so much hype and excitement surrounding this that I think that's why they got the crowd that they got, and they got the TV numbers came out, and it was like 4.2 million people tuned into the Clash, which was the most since like 2016. It was higher uh, higher ratings than all but I think four NASCAR races, Cup races in all of last year it had a thousand more people watched this race or a hundred or a million more people sorry watch this race than the um the cup series championship race at phoenix so ratings wise it was success attendance wise it was success event wise it was success but i hope that it's more of an inspiration for future events because i don't i was super hyped this year i don't know if i would be as hyped again if they go back there specifically i know steve's mentioning them being able to go to like some other nfl stadiums and things the only thing to to maybe kind of ruin that plan is the fact that the Coliseum was built for the Olympics and those stadiums are bigger uh, field wise, area wise. So they were saying it to fit into some other NFL stadiums that might need to be like a 0.2 mile track, which if you listen to the podcast last week, they did run a 0.2 mile track in the sixties uh, and seventies uh, that Richard Petty won. I think the last race on a 0.2 mile track in New York. So again, till still, Technically possible, but it does at least they know they can build a temporary track somewhere if they have to that they can get uh, a venue together for. So I hope this whole thing serves as an inspiration for the future. Um, I think it's well, you know, it's we should celebrate NASCAR for trying something and thankfully it paid off. Uh, I think big time. And now really uh, we just have to turn our attention straight to the Great American Race that's coming up in a couple of weeks here. So we're gonna we'll take uh, the sport will take the week off. Uh, we have the super bowl this weekend, and then we're going straight into Daytona the week after there with practices starting on Tuesday. And I think Steve and I talked about what we'll do a, a, a race preview uh, specifically for Daytona. Uh, that'll probably drop on Tuesday. Um, it'll be good because, or drop on Wednesday because it'll Wednesday be good morning. because we'll get some, they'll have a couple of practice sessions in on Tuesday. So we can have an idea a little bit more beyond what we saw just at the testing uh, at Daytona. So um So, yeah, I mean, Nicole, uh, like I said, from the the start, we've been wanting to get you on the show. Um, Maybe we'll have you back on a, a couple more times this season if you're if you're willing to come on. But really appreciate you coming on and just giving your insight from being at kind of this historic race in the first place.
2: Well, and I love listening to you guys anyway. So and you guys have been number one supporters. So anything I can do for you guys, I'm down for it. So thank you for having me.
0: And thank you everyone once again for tuning in to this episode of the Team Blaney podcast. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co host Steve, just check out our debut episode from our first season last year that dives deep into our Blaney fandom. You can interact with us on Twitter and Facebook at Team Blaney and on Instagram at Team.blaney. And you can interact with Nicole here at Stella Narius on Twitter and you can catch her musings throughout the week and then also her. Uh, weekly scanner live tweets that are really interesting. And I think I called it kind of a must follow for race day at Stella Narius. Um, you, you'll see us retweeting her stuff uh, on the week, over the weekend and throughout the week as well. Check that out. Um, finally, we encourage you to help support the Ryan Blaney family foundation. This organization championed by Ryan and his family supports causes like the Alzheimer's association and UPMC sports medicine. You can find out more about the foundation online at Ryan or on all of their active social media channels. So for my co-host Steve Mez and special guest Nicole Chipman, I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next time right here on the Team Blaney Podcast.